All right, well, let's uh, turn here to the Word of God today. I don't know uh, if you've ever seen on YouTube uh, this, uh, this YouTube channel called People Are Amazing. It's all these little clips of people doing amazing things. Uh, you know, they're unicycling down the side of a mountain. Uh, they're water skiing on their head. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Uh, but it's really amazing to see what they can do. But if you're fortunate enough, you can also get uh, a YouTube where you can see People Are Amazing clips and right next to it, Fail Army which is kind of the opposite. It's people trying to accomplish these things and then failing. And so you see it done brilliantly and then you see someone just muck it up in a beautiful, entertaining, profound way. And what you're seeing there is really how these people who are so good ended up there by watching how these people uh, messed it up along the way. And, you know, so often when we see someone do something so amazing, we say, wow, how on earth were they able to do that? And in fact, there's a, a guy, a sociologist named Dan Chambliss, who studied this very thing. Uh, now, he wasn't studying how people can do it for little clips on YouTube. Rather, he was studying it for musicians and particularly, in his case, high-level athletes. And he wanted to know what is it that makes a high-level athlete be able to perform with such excellence all the time. And so he studied these swimmers uh, all kinds of competitive swimmers, including Olympic swimmers. And after years of study, he published all of his research, his finding in a, in a, in a journal, in, a, in an article called The Mundanity of Excellence. He called it The Mundanity of Excellence. And, and what he concluded from all of his research is that those who perform at an incredibly high level are able to do so because they're able to do a bunch of sort of many small, very uh, so, sort of small skills or activities, each that they either learned or stumbled upon, they practiced them over and over and over. And all these little pieces together combined caused them to do something with great excellence, which is very different from how we think of excellence. You know, when we see someone who does something amazing, so excellent, we, we look at that and say, how on earth are you able to do that? And because we don't think that it can be learned, we often say, it's a gift. I mean, what you've got is just a natural talent. You're just a natural at it. But Dan Chambliss, in his paper, he said, that's not the case. The fact of the matter is, if you could take a time lapse of the, of the hours and the days and the months and the years of those guys working on it, it would just be this series of very mundane skills and activities that they practiced over and over and over until when they put it together, it provides this incredible excellence in their lives. And it turns out that when it comes to our spiritual life, the same thing is true. You know, sometimes we meet somebody in our life who is, they're just so dialed in spiritually. I mean, you talk to them, they just got such a vibrant relationship with Jesus. It just flows naturally in their conversation and it, it doesn't feel pressed or, or unnatural. It's just sort of who they are. And we say, wow, wow, how do you have that kind of a relationship with Jesus? And, and because we, we maybe don't have that, we can't have that, we don't think we can have that, we chalk it up to a gifting that they have. Well, you're just, you've got something that, that the rest of us don't have. You know, you're natural when it comes to spiritual things. But turns out that that's not, not the case. Just like excellence in sports or in music or in anything else, a vibrant relationship with Jesus develops out of the accumulation of a number of small practices in our life that we just practice regularly and deeply. And in this passage that we're going to look at today, Paul is going to talk to us about how that can be in our life. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me uh, back to Philippians chapter 3. Now in Philippians chapter 3, you know Paul 
in the, in the passage just before the one we're going to look at today, Paul talks about his deep, deep desire. He says, look, I tried to be right with God through my own effort and my own works. It was impossible. But now my heart's desire, my passion in my life is to know Jesus, to, to, to have the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, he goes on to say, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that somehow I might attain the resurrection. And it's this, it's this profound, brilliant, beautiful passage. And you know, when we read that passage, either we're so inspired, we say, yeah, me too, Paul. I want that too. Or the opposite happens and we're defeated. We say, well, you know, I, I could never be like that. I mean, Paul, look, you're, you're the apostle. You're, you're Mr. Spiritual. You're, of course you want that because that's who you are. But I could never be that way. And so Paul now is going to correct our thinking around that. And, and he's going to help us understand that, that we also can and should and need to pursue that same kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's what he writes. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. He says, not that, he says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So the Apostle Paul now says here, he says, you too can have a rich, deep, meaningful, life-giving relationship with Jesus. And here's how you do it. He, he begins in verse 12. He says this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know, too often Christian leaders, pastors kind of give the impression like, hey, you know, when it comes to spiritual maturity, we got it all together. You know, we're, we're pretty much there. We got a little issue here or there, but, but pretty much we're good. And if you could only be as good as us, you'd also be good. But of course, it's not the case. And so, sometimes also, I mean, it's not just Christian leaders. Sometimes just people around us give that impression. I remember once I was in a community group. I'd been in the group uh, for a while with a number of others. And at one point, one of the guys said, uh, he said to us, I don't sin anymore. And I almost laughed out loud because I thought he was joking. But it turns out he wasn't. He spent the next 10 minutes arguing and trying to convince us that in fact he no longer sinned, period, at all in his life. The problem was that even as he said it, he said it with a great deal of pride, which obviously was a problem. But I also knew him a bit and I knew his, his life a little bit. And I remember looking at his wife who was sitting beside him as he said that he no longer sinned. And she knew his life very well. And I mean, she just rolled her eyes. It just, it wasn't, it just wasn't the case. And the Apostle Paul, I mean, right off the top, after saying, this is what I aspire to, this is what I want, he wants us to know that that's, he, he hasn't arrived there yet. It's not like somehow he's got it and the rest of us hasn't. You, you know, he's the Apostle. He says, I'm not, a, I'm not perfect. And he wants us to know, it's not like he's natural at it. It's not like he's got some sort of gift that the rest of us don't have. He still is developing it. He still has to develop it. And this is the first point that we need to pick up from this passage. And that's this. Knowing Jesus deeply is cumulative. It happens over time. It's a process. 
like great musicians or great athletes, it's this, the result of this accumulation of a lot of little practices practiced regularly, sometimes mundanely over weeks and months and years that lead us to that kind of a relationship with Jesus. And Paul wants us to know right off the top, that's who he is and therefore that's who we are. In fact, uh, this idea that, that somehow he's got this special gift that we can't have is something that he wants to make sure we don't, we don't think. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, he, he thinks about this a fair bit. Here's what he writes about those who are really excellent. He says, with everything perfect, we do not ask how it came to be. Instead, we rejoice in the present fact as though it came out of the ground by magic. In other words, he says, when you see someone who's really good, you don't think about the process. You just say, whoa, that guy is amazing. But he goes on to write this. No one can see in the work of the artist how it became. That is its advantage for wherever one can see the act of becoming, one grows somewhat cool. In other words, he says, look, if you could see all the hours of practice that go into the, the, the performance of an Olympic gymnast, suddenly it would seem fairly mundane and not quite so glamorous. And really what he's saying is this, what we want to see is just the finished product. We just want to see the amazing thing. And we look at that and we say, wow. He says, we want to see the mystery instead of the mundane. He says, there's a reason why. And here's what he writes. He says, our vanity, our self-love promotes the cult of the genius. For if we think of genius as something magical, we're not obliged to compare ourselves and find ourselves lacking. To call something divine means here there is no need to compete. In other words, he says, if we can say, look, they just did that because they're special, then we don't have to do, we don't have to consider that we need to do it as well. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants to avoid here. He doesn't want us to think that somehow he's a unicorn, that he's so unique. He's the Apostle, therefore, you know, we could never, we could never be like him. Instead, what he's saying here is he works at it too. He, he's worked at it for many years and he's calling us also to pursue that kind of a relationship with Jesus. So the first thing we need to know is we can know Jesus is the result of this cumulative action in our lives over months and years. But then in verse 13 and 14, he goes on to say, what are those actions that we need to do? He says this, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says this, he says, First of all, forgetting what's behind. And what he says is this, is knowing Jesus deeply involves jettisoning, jettisoning excess baggage. Now, to jettison something means that it's a term that refers to if you're on a boat or a plane and it's going down, you start shoveling stuff out the back end, over the edge, because what you're trying to do is to stabilize that boat or that plane so that it doesn't crash. Uh, jettisoning things is about shedding the stuff that will slow you down or cause you to crash. And you know this, if you've ever hiked up a mountain with someone who packed way too much stuff in their backpack, about a third of the way up, they're saying, wow, this thing is so heavy. They take their backpack off, they reach in, they pull out like 12 cans of Coke. They're like, this is too much. And they usually turn to you and say, here, you carry this for me. I'm like, what? And then they pull out like 12 apples. They're like, well, these are biodegradable. They chuck them in the forest where they can biodegrade it. And then they pull out like a giant battery for their flashlight. They're like... It's not biodegradable. I'll just tuck it under these leaves here and I'll pick it up on the way down. But, but they're jettisoning, jettisoning all of this stuff because they won't make it to the top if they carry all of that weight. 
And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying when it comes to knowing Jesus more. He says, there's some things that we need to jettison from our life. And one of those things is the hurt in our life from other Christians. You know, we have this call as followers of Jesus to walk together in community. And when we walk together in community, it is brilliant, it is encouraging, it is strengthening, it's beautiful. But sometimes, sometimes we get hurt along the way. Sometimes either those who are Christian leaders or people that we're just walking with do things that cause us hurt, that cause us harm, that, that injure us. And, and that hurt becomes a weight that we carry in our journey with Jesus. And what Paul says is we need to jettison that. We, we need to leave behind those hurts in our life. Now, listen, I, I'm not talking here about ignoring things like sexual sins or uh, power abuse by Christian leaders or, or financial fraud. I mean, those are the kind of things that need to come out. They need to come into the light and be dealt with. So that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is the, the other hurts, the, the hurt feelings, the misunderstandings, sometimes the open betrayal and, and just downright nastiness that happens. And, you know, these things come in our lives and, and we have this choice, you know, will we remain victims of that or are we going to move on? Because clearly, hard things, bad things happen, right? I mean, you could convince a jury, you could say, this is what happened. A jury would say, yes, absolutely. What happened there should not have happened. But the fact of the matter is, it did happen. And so you have to decide what to do. You know, it's like as if you've been shot. I hope you've never been shot. But, you know, if you watch, you know, someone shoots you. In that moment, you've got a decision to make. You know, the, the, the blood is starting to pour out and either you can go after the person who shot you and try and get them or you can turn and race to the hospital and try to get healing. Now, of course, in the action movies, the hero always just sort of holds whatever the wound is, goes after the, the bad guy and gets him. But that's not the real life. I mean, in real life, that's foolishness. In real life, you bleed out trying to do that or the guy turns and shoots you dead again. In real life, the answer is you go to the hospital as quick as you can and you allow the police or someone else to deal with the shooter. And yet so often when it comes to the spiritual and the emotional shots that we take, we take the exact opposite approach. Rather than going to the one who can give healing in our life, we fixate on the one who shot us. And as a result, we begin to bleed out spiritually and the, and the spiritual life sort of wanes out of us because instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus, which is the goal, instead we're fixated on this person or this situation that caused us so much harm. You know, there's this story, um, there's this story about, it comes from the Civil War in the United States by the, by the Confederate General uh, Robert E. Lee. At one point, he visited the homestead of a lady in Kentucky. And the battle had been across her property and she called the general over and, and there'd been this magnificent tree out front of her, our property. And the, uh, the Union Army had shelled that property and had destroyed much of that tree. There was limbs missing and the leaves were blown off of it and it looked so bad, looked ugly. And she pointed to that tree and she was outraged and bitter and angry. And she said to the general, you know, this is what they did and it's so bad. And she wanted him to, to, to be angry with her. And uh, General Lee looked at the tree and he looked at her and, and he said, cut it down, ma'am, and forget it. And because Lee knew that that tree, if she didn't cut it down, would remain as a symbol of her bitterness and she would never move past it. And you know, it's the case for us. Paul says this, forgetting what is behind. He says, some of the hurt in your life 
you just need to cut it down. You, you just need to, to forget it and leave it in the, in the past because otherwise you will never get past that to the goal, the prize, which is knowing Jesus deeply. This is the first thing that you need to jettison. The other thing that we need to jettison from our life is the, is the disappointment that comes when, when we continue to have to wrestle with sin in our life. You know, so often uh, we come to faith in Jesus and, and then we think, man, the sin in my life is just going to slowly sort of shed away and, and, and it won't be long and I'm not going to struggle with any sin. And yet here it is years later and we're still struggling with the sin. And sometimes that can lead to this, this kind of disappointment that Christians have that say, look, I tried. I've tried a bunch of times and I just can't beat it. So this is kind of as far as I go. I'm trying to follow Jesus a little bit, but this sin keeps weighing me down. I can't get any further. But, but that's not the case. He, the reason why Paul wants to press into Jesus 30 years after he's come to faith in Jesus is because he's, he's broken. Like all of us, we, it's, it's the human condition, brokenness and sin. And Paul knows that the way to deal with sin in our life is not to try harder. That sucks the life out of us. He says, I've tried that. Rather, he says, the way to deal with sin in our life is to press into Jesus, to press headlong into Jesus. And after we do that, to press in even more, knowing that this is going to be a process. In fact, at one point, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he writes this. He says, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. In other words, what he says is there is this, there is this process. We, we, we slowly but surely are changed as we continue to move through this process. And so the message that Paul has is this. We need to jettison. We need to, to, to drop this kind of an attitude in our lives that says, I'll never change. I can't grow. It, it isn't going to happen in my life. And instead, we need to know that we can grow. We do grow. We will grow by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Paul says we need to leave some things behind. But then he also says that we need to press on, strain towards what is ahead. And that's the next thing we need to know. Knowing Jesus deeply requires determination. You know, uh, Paul isn't hobbled by the fact that, that he is a broken man, that he has sin in his life. Instead, Paul says, because of that, I just need to keep pressing into Jesus. I just need to keep moving forward. And again, according to the research that Dan Chambliss did, this is the sociologist who studied those with high achievement. He says, those who accomplish great things, he said, are people whose thinking is active in one direction, who employ everything as material, who always zealously observe their own inner life and that of others, who perceive everywhere models and incentives, who never tire of combining together the means available to them. In other words, those who attain something great, those who achieve their goal is because they strain and strive towards that goal. And when it comes to godliness, nobody ever stumbles into godliness. It simply doesn't happen. I mean, look at the people in the Bible. No one just sort of coasted into godliness. We should never be satisfied where we're at spiritually. We should continually examine our lives and see where it is we need to grow and then seek Jesus, to press in to know him more, to work at knowing Jesus more through all sorts of little things that sometimes seem so mundane in the day in and the day out, but over the long term, change your life and develop this deep, rich relationship with Jesus. And that requires us to work at it. 
but it's worth it. And sometimes in the Christian world, we say, wait, 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 we're not about works. We're about grace. Yeah, of course, of course. But we have to understand the, the difference there. Dallas Willard says this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. In other words, the works in our life that are all about earning God's favor, that's wrong. But the kind of work that draws us into a deeper relationship with Jesus, that, that builds that kind of relationship, the kind of effort that we put forward for that, that's rich. That leads to a relationship that is utterly life-giving. And that's the goal. That's the prize. That's what Paul keeps straining toward. And, and he says, this is what wise Christians do. That They continue to strain for this. In fact, this is what he says in, in, in next, in verse 15. So he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul says this, knowing Jesus deeply is not a free for all. It's not up to you how it is you decide you want to know Jesus. You know, we live in this consumer culture where it's all about what you want, right? What size you want, what color you want, what brand you want. You pick, you how much you want to pay. You get to choose all those things. And too often as Christians, we, we take that same attitude when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, knowing Jesus. We want to pick when we want to know him, how much we want to know him, the way we want to know him. But it doesn't work that way. Paul, Paul says, look, if you're, in the adult, if you're the adult in the room, you understand that's not how life goes. The, the, the really good things that come in your life, the really rich things in your life rarely come through the easiest way possible, Right? I mean, it's your kid who thinks that after six piano lessons, they should be able to play like a concert pianist. It's your teenager who, who thinks that, you know, because they're the best athlete in their local high school, even though they've never played on the provincial level, that somehow they're destined to be great international athletes. You're the adult. You know it's not impossible. You know that it's attainable. But it requires then from them the, the, the accumulation of an awful lot of mundane practice over years and years. And it requires them to jettison the things that are going to slow them down and that'll keep them back from, from what they seek to attain. And you know that it's going to require all kinds of determination to press in, to keep on, to move forward. And Paul says this, if you're mature in Christ, you know this is the case. This is what it takes to know Jesus deeply. Now, he says, if... If you want to learn it on your own, you're welcome to. It'll just take you longer. But eventually, God will help you understand what Paul's already learned here. So he says, you need to keep going. And then, and then this is how Paul ends this section. He says this in, uh, in verse 16. He says, only let us hold true to what we have already attained. You know, I don't know if you've ever done the grouse grind. Uh, it's in North Vancouver. I've done it a couple of times. It's 2.9 2 kilometers hike. It's straight up the mountain. And it is 2,830 steps. Now, how do we know it's 2,830 steps? I asked that question too. Apparently, a bunch of people asked it. And so on their frequently asked questions, they said, who counted the steps? And the answer is, we're not absolutely sure. But can assure you that whoever counted the number of steps on the grind is a keen and fastidious grouse grinder. Yeah, no kidding if you counted 2,803 steps. The point is this. It's steep and it's hard and it's long. But when you get to the top, man, the, the view is stunning. It, it is brilliant. I mean, all of Vancouver right below you, off to this side is like the ocean of Vancouver Island. Over here is the valley. The sun is out. I mean, it is 
It's just, it's so beautiful. And there's this coffee shop up there, get good coffee and, and some treats. And the feeling of satisfaction is profound. But it isn't easy getting there. You know, I climbed it a couple of times uh, with, a, with a good friend of mine who does it regularly. Uh, we started out visiting and talking. And about 10 minutes in, I decided that oxygen for my lungs was more important than using and wasting oxygen on words. So I simply stopped talking. He, he nattered the rest of the way up like as if we were at a walk on the beach. But I literally gasped for breath the whole way up. Now, if you've done the grouse grind, you know that after what feels like hours but it's actually about 20 minutes, you come to a sign that says you're a quarter of the way up. And when you come to that sign, I mean, what little breath you have, you just, it, it, your breath is taken away. You're like, I can hardly breathe here and we're only a quarter of the way up and my legs are like jelly and it's kind of deflating to be there. But then the option is really just to keep going. And I remember one time hiking up there and and as I came to that sign, that quarter sign, there was a lady. And, and, and this was her first time up the grind. And I heard her say to her friend, I, a quarter of the way? What? No, I, I can't go any further. We, we can't go further. I have to go back. And I, as I came closer, I listened to her friend plead with her, say, no, no, no. You can do this. I mean, hundreds of people do this every day, just like you and me. And we don't have to go as fast as them, but, but we can't go back. Not only is it dangerous to go back, but if we get to the top, I mean, it's so rich. It is so beautiful. It'd be so worth it. And I'll go with you. We'll make it together. And you know, as I passed by them, if I had any breath in my, I'd have said, yes, you should do it. You should do it. It's worth doing it. Because when you get to the top, it's so beautiful. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here about knowing Jesus. However far you've come, don't stop. It is worth it. Keep going. You see, th this is the last point that is here. Is this knowing Jesus deeply happens through both grace and grit. There's so much grace for us as we follow after Jesus. You know, we stumble. We, we struggle. Sometimes we just want to stop and sit there. We say, I don't want to go any further. And Jesus comes and he says, no, no, no. No shame. No, no judgment, no condemnation, but keep coming. Keep walking with me. I'll walk with you. You don't have to go as fast as everyone else, but you just need to keep pressing forward. You need to keep walking forward because at the end, it is so worth it. It is so rich. It is so deep. It is so meaningful. It will be worth it. There's so much grace, but it also requires grit. It also requires us to, to put our head down and, and, and to have that sense of determination that says, yes, I'm going to press in. I'm going to continue to follow Jesus. Even in the mundane things, even when it seems like I'm doing this and, and it's just a little thing to know that over time, it'll make such a difference. And to jettison those things that would slow us down and hold us back. And to just have that kind of determination on our part. You see, following Jesus is about both grace and grit. And that's something that we want to have as part of our church. We want this to be a place that is about both grace and grit. A place where you come and say, man, I'm struggling. Man, I, I, I have troubles along the way. I'm, I don't know if I can do it. And just to know the grace of Jesus in your life, grace from one another, but also where there's grit. Also where we say, yes, but this is what Jesus calls us to. This is where Jesus asks of us. This is what we need to do. So let's do it together. Let's walk together. Let's do it. We can do this thing. It's what we're called to do. Grace and grit. Because of what Jesus has done in our life. And in fact, 
This is why Paul does it, because of what Jesus has done in his life. This is why he's so intent on this. Because back in verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Literally what he says there is, I press on to seize it because Christ Jesus has seized me. And what Paul is thinking about when he wrote those words was his own, his own moment of salvation. He's talking about that moment when he was on his way to Damascus to, to arrest the Christians there and, and to destroy their lives. And instead, Jesus seized him, took hold of him. But rather than punishing him and destroying him, rather he, he set him free. He just poured grace upon grace into his life. And Paul has never forgotten what Jesus had did for him. And the same for us. You know, we, we should never forget what Jesus has done for us in spite of our rebellion against the holy God, in spite of the wrath that is due on our life, in spite of the, the, the brokenness and the sin in our life and, and the shame in our life. Jesus reached out and he made us his own. He adopted us as his sons and his daughters. He, he suffered and died on the cross in our place that he would make us his own. And therefore, therefore we should make him our own. That's why we press in to do this. That's why it's so worthy of us to seek Jesus. So don't stop. Press in. Keep going forward in what he calls you to do. And if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, you can know him. You, you can have that kind of life-giving relationship with him. And you can do that today. I mean, in another place, the Apostle Paul simply says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. In other words, you can begin a relationship with Jesus. You can be right with God. And if you want to do that, you can have that today. You just need to do those very things. All right, let me pray for you. God, we come to you today and God, we thank you. We thank you that knowing Jesus, knowing you is not something just for the gifted, for the super spiritual, for those who have some sort of natural talent. It's something for each of us. It's something for all of us. And Father, we can grow and, and, and walk more deeply in knowing Jesus as we have both grace and grit. Father, as we, as we do these things that Paul lays out so clearly for us, God, thank you that he set an example for us to imitate. And Father, may we do that very thing. May we imitate him as we come to know Jesus more and more. We thank you that you never leave us. You walk with us every step of the way. We pray that you continue to lead us on now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.